Hello, and uh, welcome. Welcome to uh, episode 71 of Brews Less Travel, the podcast exploring the best uncharted craft beer scenes across the country. Uh, I'm your host, Brian, and this is the first episode exploring our newest BLT city, Yakima, Washington. Hope you got the hints last week. Yakima is the home of American hops. Uh, I, I made an illusion last week that it's been tied into every month of BLT that we've done so far. And that's because 75% of the hops of the American hops that are used in the brewing industry are grown in Yakima Valley. So every month that we've had a hop forward beer, it is highly, highly likely, I would say almost guaranteed that those hops came from the Yakima Valley. And uh, we're most certainly going to spend a lot of time this month and this episode talking about everybody's favorite lupulin rich flower. But first, we should say hello to our new co-host for this month. Uh, he's a resident of Washington State, longtime Portland native, but also grew up in the Yakima Valley and knows a thing or two about beer. Please welcome my friend, Tom Roholt. How's it going, Tom? Uh, it is going wonderful. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about uh, all of the uh, uh, things that I learned uh, running around as a kid in the great city of Yakima. Uh, wonderful place. Shout out to St. Joe's grade school uh, and uh, sixth grade there. Uh, there you're going to get a shout out every week, baby, because uh, those are some good times. Shout out, shout out to St. Joe's. Uh, I think uh, I think you should give the folks a little bit of background uh, on your your relationship with beer. How, how do you how do you do with beer? Oh, we are um, very uh, intimate. Uh, I was a late bloomer uh, when it came to beer. I didn't meet beer. I mean, I I met beer in my teens, like most people, but like literally would drink like a quarter of a can and throw it into the woods to pretend like I drank a full one. But it wasn't until my mid twenties where craft beer started to like sprout up around the place. And there's actually some great flavor uh, associated with that stuff. Uh, Grants uh, from Yakima was one of those first beers. Uh, and it, back. Uh, uh, way back. Um, and then uh, it really accelerated back in uh, 2009 uh, where a buddy and I, uh, went to all the breweries that were open in one day in Portland on a sunny Saturday. Uh, and that was yeah. at the time 34 uh, breweries in one day, uh, which escalated very quickly over the next six years to going to eventually 50 and 77. Uh, so um, celebrating craft beer, uh, being a part of it as much as, much as I can. Um, brewers are rock stars to me. Uh, and uh, love to uh, um, taste what they come up with next. It's a very amazing process of coming up with new flavors. 77 breweries in one day. I, uh, I don't think I've ever come anywhere near close, close to that. Yeah, it's, it's a quick in and out. Do a, a shot of beer, essentially, to say you drank something made on premises and move on to the next. Took about yeah. uh, 19 hours, I believe, was was the uh, the start and finish of it all. Jesus, that's absurd. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about that uh, throughout the month. Um, shout out to our beer club subscribers. We got, you know, like I said, a whole month worth of Wednesday activities for Yins, and uh, you know, a special how do you do 
to our new subscribers. You guys are keeping the lights on. We really appreciate the support with the Beer Club subscriptions. So uh, we're going to kick off Yakima today featuring Bale Breaker Brewing Company. Uh, and we're going to be enjoying two beers from them. We're going to be enjoying their Field 41 Pale Ale as well as their Bottom Cutter Imperial IPA. Plus, we're going to be joined by a guest from Bale Breaker. And without further ado, we're going to bring our guest on. So please join us in welcoming the co-founder and brewmaster of Bale Breaker, Kevin Smith. How's it going, Kevin? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, Thanks so yeah, for joining us. Very, very excited. Glad you guys are, are, uh, are highlighting, um, you know, my hometown and, and what we uh what we believe is is a awesome awesome town for for craft beer, and so I'm, I'm glad that people um, from outside of the Pacific Northwest here get to see a little bit of of what we do here in the Yakima Valley. So so thank you for featuring. Oh well, it's a it's a pleasure to have uh, your brewery as one of our featured breweries, and a pleasure to have you on the show. Let's get into our rapid fire questions here. Yeah, let's um, do it. Real quick, chat. Uh, someone had a good suggestion for a name for this section last week, and I completely forgot it. So throw it in the chat if you're here again. Uh, but anyways, Kevin, you ready? Ready. Cool. We get through this, and Tom and I get to open up our first beer. Uh, so first one, favorite non-bail breaker beer? Oh, um, I'd probably have to say I could go so many different directions, but honestly, I'd probably have to say... Uh, Bodhi Zaffa from Georgetown Brewing out of Seattle. Um, I see it a lot uh, around. It's a, it's a GABF gold medal winner. Um, kind of awesome take on like kind of new modern hybrid styles of, of, of IPAs kind of uh, stealing a little from West Coast or stealing a little bit from Hazy, but really like West Coast influenced. And uh, it's just a solid beer. High, high quality all the way around. If, if you can get, get your hands on it, you won't be disappointed. Nice. full packaging as well. Yes, definitely. And with that question, I could talk about that for like 10 <laughs> or 15 straight minutes. So, <laughs> yes. But that was one that comes to mind. So. Uh, other than beer, wine or cider? Mm, very good question. I, I do in, thoroughly enjoy both, especially being in the Yakima Valley. We have like a, well over like 100 uh, very, very high class wineries. And also along with, with hops and wine grapes, we grow a ton of apples. So I, I totally love, love both. Um, if I really have to pick, I would probably say wine, but that's a really, really close, um, close one for me, especially because, uh, with our, uh, our bar over in Ballard in Seattle, uh, we partner with, uh, Yonder Cider, who is honestly one of the best cider makers I've ever come across. Their, their ciders are, are flawless and unique and, awesome so um so that, that one's an, uh, another hard hard one but uh but uh, but i do enjoy it d depending on kind of what i'm looking for sometimes you know a nice red is is very good but a a, a crisp dry lager or a cider is sometimes hard to beat too all right favorite hop favorite hop i'll um i i would probably say simcoe probably for its versatility um i use it in a ton of beers um uh, although Citra is a very, very close second for me. So cool. Cool. Uh, Kevin Smith, I have to ask you, I have to make one joke about this. 
Uh, Clerks totally. are mall rats. <laughs> uh, honestly, Dogma. I love it. Yes. That's a hidden gem. Oh, Dogma okay. is so good. Uh, okay. But 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 between those two, probably Clerks. But but All but right. Dogma is one of my favorite out of out of Kevin Smith's universe. So. Uh, Tom, uh, I I know you enjoy films as well. Same mm-hmm. question. Uh, it's dogma for me as well. I would have definitely gone off board. Quick joke or common thing that I was going to say if we had less more time to introduce Kevin Smith. I've actually hung out with the filmmaker Kevin Smith playing hockey. Oh, no way. And, oh, awesome. um, and I was going to be like, oh, Kevin Smith, the filmmaker. I didn't know he owned a brewery. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's a tired <laughs> joke there. But, yeah, dogma for me was uh, definitely, again, Shout out to St. Joe's and Yakima, uh, Catholic right. upbringing. Uh, if you right, don't like dogma, right. you know, you got to have it. So, right. right. And shout out. I, I did like that. Uh, shout out to, to St. Joe's, my, my nephew, who will one day be taking over the farm. A future farmer uh, just started in St. Joe's this, oh, wow. uh, this fall. So he's, he's six and he's, he was sad that he had to get pulled away from the, the hop farm to go to school. So <laughs> I, I think he's, I think he's got his head on straight. So, yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, shout out, shout out to Catholic school upbringing. Anyways, I went to Catholic school growing up too. So there we go. Uh, final rapid fire question, Kevin, have you ever seen a UFO? Um, I, have I, I, one time in, in high school, one of my buddies lived on top, top of a, one of those foothills that you actually see behind you, um, behind our, our brewery. And, and they always had binoculars and, I, I vividly remember me and my buddies all passing around and honestly seeing something that none of us could could say what it is until to this day I've I have no idea. So that to me was totally an un, unidentified flying object. I, I I don't know what it was, but I, I do remember that. We were probably about 12 at the time and that is still ingrained in my memory. It's like, did I see what I really think I saw? <laughs> but yeah, wow. so Maybe, maybe. Well, we'll see. Uh, the jury's out. I, I was young. But... Wonderful. Wonderful. Those are great answers. Thanks for playing along through the rapid fire questions. Let's open our first beer here. Field 41 is a pale ale brewed with uh, Simcoe, along with a variety of other American hops. Kevin, what else uh, would you like to tell us about this beer? Yeah, yeah. Field 41. So that's one of our, our flagships. Um, it It's typically been right around our, our number two bestseller behind uh, Top Cutter IPA, our, our leading flagship. It was one of the two beers that we opened with um, and that we've made literally every day um, since inception of, of Bailbreaker. Um, for us, it was a little bit of a, I don't exactly know what to say, but it was a little bit of a, a, a stretch um, when we opened, you know, we opened about 10 years ago or so. And most of the beers uh, pale ales at that time, you know, like I, I grew up falling in love with like, uh, like Sierra Nevada pale, like probably a lot of people did. And, and up here in the Northwest, um, at that time we had, uh, uh, Manny's, which, which is Georgetown, their, their original flagship. And that was, you know, uh, uh, kind of one of those traditional, um, kind of pale ales that you might think of that was a little bit more malt forward and a little bit less um, on the hoppy side. And so w- when, when we were opening, we, we really wanted to do something that was, was different. And, and I remember joking around with my brother and brother-in-law when we we're trying to um, kind of come up with, with the recipes and what we wanted to do. And I thought pale ale was the most 
broad term. I mean, to me, it was just like a lightly colored uh, top fermented beer. I mean, that was that was basically what I thought. Was, hey, we got we got a lot to work with here, um, and so we kind of pushed it a little out of that the realm of what people were thinking pales were at that time where it was almost bridging on like the session IPA. And so it, it's very low in SRM. Um, it's really not a ton of, of malt. We do use uh, a little bit of oats in wheat, not in the sense that you'd think of like a, a hazy IPA, right. But just enough to try to give it some body. Um, and then uh, yeah, featuring a, big charges of Simcoe to get like a little bit of pine and grapefruit. And then we uh, pair that with uh, a tannum and laurel. So the laurel is bringing like a little bit of light citrus and some, uh, some nice floral notes while uh, the tannum being a little more subtle, but like very kind of orangey um, is, is what we typically get from a tannum. So it, it's kind of a little bit of a delicate beer, but because it's kind of so light in body, it drinks pretty similar to an IPA, but it's only about 5% alcohol. So it's kind of like a, uh, a little, I don't know. I don't want to steal the term from my buddies at founders, but kind of like an all day IPA. So, <laughs> you know, you, you can just drink it and low, low in ABV and, and, and crushable. It's kind of the, uh, we've also kind of said kind of like the hop heads light beer. And so. I like that. Awesome. So. Hey, so, uh, before uh, starting Bale Breaker in 2013, um, mm -hmm. your family had close ties to the brewing industry. Uh, yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about that family history? Um, I'm assuming it has, to, it has a lot to do with farming, considering what we just talked about. Yeah, now. totally. No, totally. We've, we've, we have a unique, uh, unique backstory, right? And so uh, my great-grandparents uh, first planted hops on our, our family farm um, in 1932. They, they planted five acres of hops. It was the year before Prohibition was ended. So they were uh, either running around with the wrong crowd or very <laughs> smart with where the markets were going, right? And so... Um, so they, they planted it uh, in actually that same five acres. We have continuously farmed um, every single year since 1932. Uh, my my great-grandfather and great-grandmother ran it and, and grew it um, over, over the years. And uh, my great-grandfather passed away when my, my dad was 19 and off at uh, off at college. Uh, when he passed away, my, my father dropped out of university, came back and ran it with his grandmother, my great grandmother, um, up until she wanted to retire. And, and he's been running it ever since. So, you know, if he was about 20, that's, I think that this was, yeah, his uh, 48th consecutive harvest on the farm. Um, and so he's, he's been doing it, doing it for a long time. He is a very, very that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Very, very brilliant agricultural entrepreneur. He, he, took what they started and, and, and grew it, um, grew it into, uh, something large. And so, um, so also through that path, he is also a part of, uh, some of the founding members in Yakima chief and hop union. Um, and he also helped, uh, start with, along with some other farms, um, a breeding program in the Yakima Valley that was called, uh, select botanicals. It then merged oh. with, Haas's breeding program to form um, the hop breeding company. So, um, so he he's had a big play in this industry for for many many years. Um, and as he's kind of 
he'll never be able to not be on the farm, but as he's kind of running, riding off into the sunset, uh, my older brother is now uh, running all of our agricultural operations. And so, um, so I guess that kind of leads us to about 10 years ago when bail breaker, uh, the inception of bail breaker kind of happened. So I was brewing over in Seattle. I was in my early twenties uh, at a brewery called two beers brewing company. And my sister and her husband were over in Coeur He was working in sales and she was working uh, at Coeur Lane Cellars Winery. And my sister and her husband kind of uh, came to us and they're like, hey, we got this great idea. Like, let's open a brewery on the hop farm. And we're all kind of like, makes oh, sense. Let's, yeah, like, you, you know, and kind of in, you know, they're saying like, hey, there's hundreds of wineries in the valley and they're all like in vineyards and like no one's ever done it with hops. And so, um, so I was, I was super stoked to be able to uh, like kind of start crafting my own beers and, and making my own beers. Um, and so, yeah, my, my dad and brother got on board. Uh, my brother helped uh, write the business plan and kind of uh, off we went. And so we, uh, with the, with the picture behind you there, that's um, the brewery that is actually, field 41 that we're in so that's the the name of the pale ale is the actual hop field that the brewery is located in and so if it happened to be field 26 our pale ale would be named field 26 but um so uh so that's that's where the name uh came from there is is just kind of a nod to our our actual physical location that's awesome that family lineage is uh Unbelievable. I, 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 you have a very modest telling of the impact that your father has had on the industry. Those companies are responsible for a, a lot of growth and a lot of the, you know, IPAs and hop forward styles that have no, brought totally. forth the craft beer resolution. So that's, that's really cool. What, uh, what does your dad do in, in hop harvest these days? Like it, uh, that's, it's, 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 it's intense, right? It's a manually yeah, no, in, intensive no, totally. job. Like totally. I mean, we, we all, we all grew up, um, on, on the farm. I did my dad, you know, had us work in harvest. And so he made sure all three of us, uh, were very competent and capable dryers on the, on the hop farm. Um, it's a very, very important, probably the most important step in the harvesting process is drying it out to the right moisture content. So uh, the hops are stable. Um, and so uh, you can usually see my dad, you know, yeah, kind of like poking around in the kilns. He really likes that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the, the data hub on the farm too, is, you know, seeing all the, all the kilns and their moisture contents. And, you know, that's where they're tracking like, you know, bales to acre and stuff like that. And so, Typically these days he's, he's, he's doing that. Um, when I was a kid, you know, he was pulling 15, 16 hour days every day during hop harvest. Uh, I don't see him doing that as much anymore. He's, <laughs> he's, he's earned it. He, he can slip out. You might Certainly. find him on the golf course a couple of times a week. And so he's definitely, he definitely earned that. And so, uh, my, my brother takes on more of the, the heavy lifting these days. Um, but he, he's always around. He's, he's still there you know, every morning at, at five 30 during harvest to see shift change. And, and that's, you know, that's something he, he, it's in his blood. He'll, he'll, he'll never leave it. Even if he's in a walker and we're pushing around the field. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so when designing beers like field 41 or your top cutter IPA, which you've mentioned, mm-hmm. um, 
how does being so close to those raw materials play into that process? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's, we have a couple benefits that other breweries don't obviously. Um, and we, we have, we have one or two small drawbacks, but we, um, uh, one of our, our massive benefits is we get to see the hops come out of the ground and go all the way to the wire. And my brother and dad are in the fields constantly, you know, they're letting us know what, when we think like a, a good Simcoe or such a field might be falling and to keep an eye out on it. And so we do get to see the crop all year, you know, it's in our backyard. We're always talking about it and, and doing stuff. So, so obviously that, that's a big help. Um, we're, we're obviously also kind of like on the cutting edge of, of uh, new hop products and in experimental hops. And so it's, it's always nice to uh, be a part of like what, what's new and innovative. Um, but then, then in terms of selection, you know, we, we do get a, we smell all of our hops off of our farm before they would get to Yakima chief. And so then we, we would pull what we would like, like our selected lots um, before they would uh, actually make it to the warehouse. Um, so that's obviously a benefit as well. Although we're only ever looking at our two farms. Um, and so we only get to see two farms and, you know, someone else from Seattle or New York or something that travels to Yakima for selection might be able to have a table with, with seven or eight different farms, you know? And, and so, uh, although I am highly biased, I think that my dad and brother grow very good hops. So I'm not disappointed in, in only smelling there. So, uh, so it's, but in, I guess in terms of like the rest creation side of it, um, I, I guess we approach hops here in, and I know a lot of brewers do, but, but our philosophy is, is that, every hop addition is important, right? Like, like uh, we don't just like throw IBUs at a bittering charge. Like we're very purposely picking bittering hops because of their bittering characteristics. And so like in field 41, we, we use, uh, it's one of our, actually one of my favorite bittering hops is, is Simcoe. It was bred to be a bittering hop. Um, and it's alpha wasn't high enough. And the, <laughs> drawback was that it smells awesome so like <laughs> so it's got all of these great bittering characteristics and it's low in cohumulin so like it's got this very gentle bitterness that where you know if it's calculated at 50 ibus um the cohumulin makes it taste possibly even less than that where a high cohumulin mm -hmm. hop might also be bittered at you know to 50 ibus but it might taste more like 75 and so that's just kind of how it comes across on the palate and so so that's one of our our very um or one of the things that we think about in every recipe is is it's not just about the dry hop or the whirlpool or or the aroma it's it's how every hop is introduced and layered through the process and that there's a purpose for it um at every single edition and so you got to go back kind of full circle uh, when you guys mm. opened up back in Seattle last year. Um, what was that like? What, how, how, how did that make you feel to like return to where I guess you, I mean, not necessarily your brewing roots, but like where you got oh, your totally. start as brewer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I lived in Seattle for seven or eight years and that was my, you know, that, that was where I decided, you know, I, that's where I decided that brewing was going to be the, the career path I wanted to go on. 
it's where I learned commercial brewing. Um, and so being, being able to open a bar over there or, you know, a tap room and, and the brewery that I hope will be brewing on actually soon. Um, that's been a long process, but that's for another day. Um, but it, it, it was really, really exciting. And, and, and being able to be a part of the like Ballard brewing district was mm-hmm. really, really exciting. I mean, it's such a cool area and I've got so many friends, uh, that, you know, have spots down there and, and just being, being able to be in that mix and be a part of that community. Like we're, we're just so ecstatic to, to be able to do that. And, and so, um, and Seattle is one of my favorite cities on the planet. So being able to go over there and, and do the build out and spend a lot of time over there, it was, it was a total joy for me. So, um, very, very happy that we did it. Love, love everything about it. And so, um, so yeah, I guess now it's what city is next. So. <laughs> How big of a system are you going to have in that uh, in that facility? And so we we have a, a seven barrel system in place. And so mm-hmm. we we took a took the spot over from Populux Brewing, took their brew house over, remodeled all the tap room and, and outdoor area with with yonder cider and um and. So it's a seven barrel brew house. It was all in there. We're kind of getting getting everything cleaned up because it hadn't been brewed on for a while, like during the build out. And then essentially what it kind of came, has come down to is we, we've we run into some issues with the city um, on yeah. some like permitting stuff for our glycol chiller. And uh, right now we, we have to turn our glycol chiller off at 10 p.m. So we can't hold a, oh, a fermentation. So yeah. we're working with them to uh, <laughs> to work on getting the decibels down uh and i think we finally in the last couple of weeks got the decibels below and now they just need to come out and and test it to approve it and then uh so hopefully this fall we'll be able to start start brewing over there and, and what we'll do over there is a lot of just fun stuff I've, I've got a really talented brewer that's on staff leading that project over there and it'll be a nice little playground for him you know kind of doing doing a lot of fun stuff that we may not do in yakima and, and being able to showcase it over there so that's interesting. I mean, it is kind of a residential neighborhood over there. Um, yeah. I spent about the same amount of time uh, in Seattle as you and just looking, I mean, Rubens and Stoop and Obeck being all in that kind of neighborhood, you yeah, would think totally. that how noisy can it, can, can it actually oh, yeah. be, right? Oh, totally. It, <laughs> it, it's just one of those, one of those things. But yeah, we, there's a, there's like a townhouse next door uh, and like the, the balcony is about like 20 feet from our glycol chiller. So uh, like, yeah. okay. I do understand that. So we gotta, yeah. uh, we gotta get it, get it all squared away. So it's, it's nice and quiet. We, we want to be good neighbors. So, yeah. So good luck. We're, we're doing everything. Good luck. So. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a beer break. Yakima's history can be traced back to the early 1800s, but one story in particular caught my eye. The expansion of the West was heavily dependent on railroad companies, and the small village of Yakima City was no exception. By the 1880s, the village had a courthouse, multiple businesses, and about 2,000 residents. But despite that, the Northern Pacific Railroad Company decided to build their stop in the Yakima Valley, about four miles north of the existing village. The railroad offered to pay to move the existing buildings north to the new town called North Yakima, and the residents of Yakima City eventually agreed, although some were more reluctant than others. The plan was to set existing buildings on top of large logs and use mules and horses to pull the structures to North Yakima. But here's where it gets interesting. 
This move took a very long time, and most of the businesses remained open during the move. Yakima City effectively became a rolling city where folks looking to do business would hitch to the rear of a moving building, conduct their business inside, and then exit the building as their horses and wagons followed along slowly. North Yakima eventually officially became Yakima in 1918, and the rest is history. I think it's about time to open our second beer here. Bottom Cutter, another year-round offering from Bale Breaker. Uh, Imperial IPA, 100 IBUs. What uh, what would you like to tell us about this beer? Yeah, Bottom Cutter is a Bottom Cutter is a fun beer for me. It was our our third uh, third year round beer, um, our third beer that we released. Um, and yeah, it, for us, it was just a little bit more of like really trying to meld a bunch of meld hops in with the most like minimal malt backbone that you could theoretically get away with in, in a Imperial IPA. Um, and it, it's also kind of just like a, a kitchen sink of hops. Uh, we, we, uh, like there's, there's a ton, ton going on, but it, it's really unique. And, and I, 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 I really, really do love the spirit. It's actually been one of the ones that we've, uh, tweaked the least over the years. Cause it's just kind of, it's always kind of been what we intended it, you know, so, sometimes some of our, uh, you know, other IPAs are like, as tastes change, we might like try to slowly evolve to match with consumer taste. Um, but, but bottom cutter, we, we've just kind of always let it go. We just, we want it to be dr- a dry, uh, light IPA. Um, and it's, it's just a, it, it's a, it's a smorgasbord of hops. I mean, it's, it's, it's Citra, Mosaic, Equinox, Simcoe, uh, uh, a little bit of warrior for bittering. I mean, it's, there's, there's quite a bit going on and there's no one hop that is really the star of the show. They kind of all, all, all play together. Um, and so, but, but it is, I, I would say, you know, it is a, a little bit, of, I won't say old school style, but becoming older um, in, in terms of, of what it was, I, I felt like when it came out, it, it was relatively uh, a fresh take on on Imperial IPAs, and and uh, but no, th- this one's just—it's always been near and dear to our heart. It's uh, probably the closest award-winning beer ever that has never won an award. I think that every and every time <laughs> we have entered place. it into like <laughs> national competitions, 100% of the time it has been entered. We have gotten the things back from the judges. That was all uh, quality beer, no flaws, great aroma. Move to the final round, did not place. Ah, <laughs> mm. uh, we are so close. <laughs> well, uh, two things. I will keep my fingers crossed because as we're recording this on mm-hmm. October 5th, uh, GABF judging is currently taking place or yep. they may have already have already uh, finished. So yeah, it is sometime this week. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then also I, I love entire country, entire craft beer scene across America, but these in my mind are the beers that the Pacific Northwest does better than anybody else. And that awesome. I can't, yeah really find of this quality and consistency anywhere outside of the pacific northwest and it's uh if it's a quote-unquote old school style or becoming a old school style i'm I'm glad that you know seattle 
Yakima, Portland, oh, totally. Bend, they're they're carrying that torch because this is a totally. wonderful beer. Totally. And and you know, out, out in the northwest we you know, we we didn't embrace hazies as, as they uh kind of rose to their um rose to their status that they are now and, and they're it, it's an amazing take on a on a hoppy style. I, I, I love hazy IPAs. Um but you know that there's something about just the clear bitter uh kind of west coast style that uh that that we all love and and that's what a bunch of brewers out here we we want to keep making i mean we we love love that it's kind of where our roots are is just you know is is just dry crisp bitter and and kind of let let the hops shine that way um and so yeah no i i, I can agree more is there anything while you drink this beer over the course of its lifespan like on day 30 versus day 60 versus day 90. Do you find any of the other hops taking over in the flavor profile or anything like that, that uh, uh, comes around since you have such a smorgasbord of hops in there? Um, and did you design it that way too, I guess would be the, the follow-up to that. Um, uh, yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I believe when it's, uh, you know, kind of in its like uh, first 30 days, um, it, to me, it's, it, it's a lot like, brighter um uh, you know it's probably some of the the citra or the tropical fruit from the equinatus kind of kind of popping um as it ages uh i i do believe that like the mosaic has uh, a lot of lasting power so like kind of as it as it ages you still have this kind of dankness or you know like roughness that that i kind of get out of mosaic that that i i i am a big fan of um and so, so yeah, it, it does, it does totally evolve through, through its life. And, and the, the hot bill wasn't necessarily written with that in mind. I think that that was just a positive outcome as we were doing aging trials, mm -hmm. but it was more the like creation of the recipe was actually more designed around the malt. So as the malt mm -hmm. aged, it didn't get sweet. Um, and that mm -hmm. was one thing that, that I didn't, like about some of the imperial ipas at the time was when you had them at like two weeks old or three weeks old like at the tap room they were they were phenomenal but you know you you got them in a in, well i guess back then it was mostly like bottles you got them in a bottle and um and and you know it might have been two months old and it kind of the hops had died and like the like this kind of crystal or car caramel malt was kind of taking front and center and, and the way that we crafted this, this particular beer, um, was, was as it aged, we wanted to avoid those caramel sweet flavors and kind of still let the hops be out front. And so that, that is one thing that I think, uh, bottom pepper is, is a very, um, does very well is that it, it, you know, with our distributors, we have like 120 day shelf life on it and, and it lasts for a very good mm -hmm. portion of that before you kind of see it start to turn where definitely some of, of our other brands, you know, they are phenomenal, you know, in the first 30 days, you know, sometimes even better in the next 30 days, but can fall off pretty quickly from mm -hmm. what the intention was. And so, but I think, I think that bottom cutter is, is a good example of, of a beer that can kind of kind of last with um or, or stay true to its inception as it ages or uh, uh conception as it ages mm -hmm. 
the the can I have is 36 days since packaging, and I would say it's uh it's hitting a very very nice oh, sweet spot. That's so. that's a that's definitely right right in the window for bottom cutter. I would say because mm-hmm. another thing that we do uh, a lot here that we do talk about is is for some of these hoppy beers, particularly the West Coast hoppy beers, IPAs and, and Imperials, is is on packaging day out of the bright tank they actually probably shouldn't be good is like the, it should so be green. too green and it should be too bitter um, because there's a very small chance that it's going to find a consumer's hand in the first 14 days. And so oftentimes, you know, with our distribution unit or um, distribution uh, footprint and everything, like we do a one week hold at the brewery for quality and microbiology micro check then our distributors typically, you know, are holding 10 to 14 days of inventory. So oftentimes the consumer, when they get it, the, the like freshest they'll get it is about 21 days. And that's kind of when we want some of these beers to be like peaking. And so the, the like 48 old, 48 hour old sensory beers, oftentimes are like, well, this is, this is a lot to handle. But that's, okay. but that is the point. And so like it, it can get to that like three or four weeks and start shining because that's when the majority of the customers will probably be, be cracking them open. Not always doable, but, but that, that is something that we strive for. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, evolution in uh, the, the thought of that beer. Um, you recently kind of evolved yourself and, and launched the Sungaze Cannabis Company. Mm-hmm. Um, it specializes in what in cannabis infused seltzers, uh, is that, um, tell me a little bit about the sourcing process and how does that compare to beer, uh, when you're doing that? Yeah, totally. It, it very unique, very different set of laws and regulations. And so kind of the, the concept around sun gaze, um, was that, you know, like you look back and, uh, across like civilization almost you know i mean you can go back like through recorded history and and a lot of uh meetings of of people are they're all done over beverages right you know you you meet someone for coffee you meet them for afternoon tea you go grab drinks or cocktails glass of wine it's like everyone converses over drinks and cannabis has never had a seat at that table like you know even just as recent as you know five years ago or whatever cannabis users were still kind of you know, you're at a party. Well, you have to step outside to smoke a joint. Well, now you're leaving the party and now you come in and you kind of stink and like yeah. you're a little more crossfaded than everyone else. And so like always had the stigma. And so what we're trying to do is, is find a way that people can enjoy cannabis for, for whatever reason, you know, they love cannabis. They, they want to take a break from alcohol. They don't drink alcohol. They're, you know, gluten intolerant and they don't want beer but something that can be delivered to them in uh, a format that they're used to. And so you can, you can drink a 12 ounce can of it and it's not over, you know, over the top. Our, our sun gay seltzers are two and a half, uh, 2.5 milligrams of THC and five milligrams of CBD in a 12 ounce can. So it's a very introductory dose. Um, you can have one. Uh, the, the way that we make them too, um, is using, uh, nano emulsified THC. And so that 
THC is an oil, right? It doesn't mix with water. And so by using like sono mechanics and you can get the THC molecules down so small that they can actually get encased into a droplet of water so they can become water soluble. Um, when the THC molecule is that small and you drink it, it then absorbs into your stomach lining through the same pathways as alcohol. So your, your onset is, is the same. It, it only takes 10 minutes to get to your brain and through your uh, bloodstream, much, much like alcohol does. Whereas if you have an edible, and I'm sure a lot of people have, have had this where you eat an edible, when you eat an edible, it goes to your stomach, your stomach breaks it down, then that goes to your liver, then your liver sends the THC through. So that's why there's that 45 minute to an hour leg. And a lot of times uh, I'm just as guilty as by a lot of people is like, this isn't working and you eat another one. And <laughs> 45 minutes later, you're like, I can't oh, this is get off of the bed. And now I'm, I'm fully lost. And so, so we're trying to find a, an approach to be able to maybe bring cannabis a little bit more mainstream and be able to introduce it to, to people. We, we like to refer to them in our, uh, internally as the can of curious. So the people that want to try, um, but maybe, you know, they're, they're, they've had bad experiences with edibles or, you know, they don't want to smoke something. And, and so just delivering it in a way that, um, is, uh, is, is something that they're more used to more socially acceptable, um, as opposed to taking a bong rep or something. <laughs> so, um, and so the, so kind of then how that came about was, was we, the kind of ownership group of bail breaker and a, and a couple, a couple other people, we purchased into an existing cannabis company called Painted Rooster Cannabis. And so we bought 50% and we're running the drink line and, and kind of uh, coming in and deliver, putting drinks into the portfolio. But, but we still, we still grow uh, 60,000 square feet of outdoor cannabis. We do, we do flower, we do pre-rolls, we, we do all of that stuff. And so we're very interested in, in the cannabis space and, and how it's going to, how it's going to go, um, in the future. And so we, we kind of just wanted to get in because, because we believe that, uh, or at least I, I, I believe in, in our, our group does that there's a, there's a market for cannabis beverages. And especially if some federal, um, red tape falls in the next few years or something that, that there, there could be a big, a big play for, for cannabis drinks if they if it's done right. And if it's, if it's, um, something that's um, approachable for for kind of any any consumer yeah i think uh i think that's how it it does become mainstream because it 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 should mm -hmm. have a place at the table it, it is a very social totally draw i hate to use the word drug because it's not like yeah, right. it's, it's a right it's it's so much it's like coffee to me in my mind it's always been yeah. so similar to coffees you know like oh, totally. it affects some people really really strong it affects some people very mildly Oh, some totally. people can drink seven cups of coffee in a day and be fine. Some people could smoke, you know, some people could be like Snoop Dogg and smoke like seven blunts yeah. in a day. <laughs> right, and, exactly. You know, <laughs> somewhat functioning through life, yeah. you know, the, but totally. making it something that is palatable, that can be enjoyed in that party setting, mm -hmm. in a communal setting, that it isn't like, yeah. hey, let's go do gravity bongs, you know, behind yeah. the garage so nobody can see us. Oh, like, totally. You know, <laughs> here, no, let's, I, let's enjoy this beverage with like fruit and stuff in it. Yeah. And then exactly. the next thing to fall in line is cocktails and mm -hmm. it becomes that. Oh, 100%.
Yeah. Um, do you see? I, I think for for me the next logical next logical step. Then you you know you're so ingrained in beer and hops and everything around that world. Does mm-hmm. when does cannabis infused beer actually become accepted? And is there a pathway, or is that something that's way way oh. far ahead? Oh, I, I to be honest, I I, I hope it's closer than uh, than it may may seem. I know that it's going to be very difficult for governments to wrap their head around having THC and alcohol in the same mm-hmm. thing, <laughs> um, which which I, I totally understand. Uh, but I, I do believe if if you know we're able to keep the THC out and and whatnot that there, there is a place for cannabis in beer. The, the overlap of terpenes in hops and cannabis are mm-hmm. so unbelievably overlapped and that it, you could almost open a Pandora's box of, of new aromas and things that could just play um, in a beer. I mean, you, if, if you're able to even just like extract certain terpenes out of the cannabis. So, I mean, which you can now, um, yeah. but I know that you kind of start getting into some weird gray areas um, with like what's you can actually put into, into beer. But, um, but I mean, you, you could completely change the aroma of beers and glasses. And it's, uh, it's, it, it's something that I'm very intrigued about, very interested in. Um, I, I, I think that there is a future for it. Um uh, one of the things that I, I wish we would be able to master, but we have not been able to is figure out how to make a very, very tasty non-alcoholic IPA and put THC into it. And so you literally get the taste of beer and hops, but get the cannabis high instead of the alcohol high. And so I think it would be really, really interesting. I think that there is a, a path forward for, for both. Um, I really hope so. Um, and it, it's just going to kind of, take you know a, a few years of just navigating the legal framework and playing playing within within the bounds and and, and you know being good stewards of cannabis so mm-hmm. um we don't get it taken away from us <laughs> so, yeah yeah uh, you gotta so. you gotta reach out to the the uh folks from coalition brewing which is now defunct who had that two flowers ipa which was more of a cbd piece and they obviously yeah, had yeah. some little hurdles with that but yeah that was a that that aroma that you got from that because of the using the the oils from the oh, flower yeah. was pretty amazing so yeah um, and, and, and i mean there's the, a spot for it no totally and, and like and i mean i don't i don't think that any scientists have been able to actually fully wrap their mind around the amount of like terpenes that are in hops and cannabis. There's just so much going on and they're both so complex aromas um, that uh, if we're able to, to steal and, and be able to use some from, from the cannabis, it would, it would totally add another uh, arrow in our quiver. It'd, It'd be super cool. Well, it sounds like you all are the folks to do it. That was some super sciencey stuff to talk about how you could get that water soluble right. <laughs> version of it to get it into the seltzer. So exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, 
so moving back to Yakima, um, Palm Springs of the of the Pacific Northwest uh, right. this was once a, uh, uh, a slogan that they tried to use. What's uh, what's one thing you wish what Yakima was more well known for? Good, good question. A few years ago, I probably would have said beer, but I think that, we're, that our, our, our friends in the valley right now are just pumping out awesome beers after awesome beers. And so um that one has been realized. And so I, I would probably say, um, to be honest, I, I, I believe that Yakima is like an awesome outdoorsman's hub that it oftentimes gets overlooked. I think it's, uh, it's could be something that is similar to a Bend, Oregon, but, but people don't associate it um, the same way. I mean, we, we have all the fermentation uh things that are going on that, that Ben does. But I mean, we've got ski resorts 45 minutes away, amazing hiking, less than that. We've got rivers, fly fishing. Uh, we've got uh, great mountain biking in our, in our backyard. Uh, Mount Rainier's 90 minutes away. Like uh, Mount Adams is, you know, two hours. Like it's, it's awesome, awesome outdoor hub. And so I think a lot of people think about, Yakima as um like this agricultural hub which which we are known for which is which we do excel in but there's this little like hidden gem of it kind of being a an outdoorsman's paradise um that's actually easier to get to some of these very uh cool areas of the pacific northwest um like actually easier than some of some of the more traditional outdoorsman hubs and so uh that, that's one thing that i that i wish people would would know a little bit more about us i mean it's it's uh it's got a lot going on we get uh a lot of sun a lot of people think about washington and think rain but we're we're on the we're in the rain shadow and so you're in the we, different we get, yeah you're in the other yeah part. right we're, we're just on the eastern slope so all the rain just passes over us then recollects in the rockies and dumps out yeah. east. And so we get this little little dry break and so it's nice makes for good uh farming no totally i mean if there wasn't modern irrigation the only thing we could grow is sagebrush but it's (laughs) beautiful with the advent of modern irrigation and so uh and then i guess that kind of goes along with that is is slowly it seems each year our, our food scene is getting better and better kind of people taking pride in the fact that we're growing a lot of this stuff and getting creative um and you know you, you do see a lot of it in like seattle and portland but kind of seeing maybe some chefs that were trained out there and and kind of coming back home and and putting their own own takes on it is uh is, is really cool to see um and so I, I i hope that that keeps progressing um because it, i mean it is i mean everything's right down the road and so so when when stuff's in season and, and we've got a couple of these restaurants, you know, like, like crafted and Kachi Canyon and stuff that are, that are literally using whatever's in harvest and creating new menus weekly. It's, it's really fun to, to be a part of. So. Yeah. And if you uh, don't have foodies as friends, you can just go to miners driving. Um, yeah, totally. I right? get yeah. a massive, <laughs> a massive burger the size of your face and a, a, a milkshake that weighs three pounds. So. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff to the wind. Right. 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 Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. I uh yeah, I no first heard about Bailbreaker in 2018 when uh Marshall from Brewlosophy 
came and oh, visited yeah. you guys and totally. talked all about you. And I was so excited to, oh, cool. I, we, we talked earlier. I met um, your sister who is also mm-hmm. an owner and founder of the brewery back at GABF in 2019 and, and, mm-hmm. or at CBC in 2019. And it's great to finally get to experience your beers and, and talk to you and talk to you about the brewery. And uh, this has just been awesome. So th- thanks a lot for joining cool. us. What do you, uh, what do you want to plug for bill breaker? Oh, cool. I actually, I do actually have a fun plug. Um, normally I might plug Sungaze, but, but we already talked about that. So, uh, but I, I did see you guys are, are talking to a lot of my buddies over the next month. And so, you know, like guys like single Hill, right. Uh, bridal, um, are you guys talking with, uh, wandering hop or Kawachi Canyon? We are talking well, to both of them. So sweet. You're talking to all four, all four of those guys. So that's very yep. cool. So I am going to totally do this plug. Uh, our uh, Bail Breaker, we a few years ago started a, a collab series. We do about like three big release collabs uh, that we put into 16 ounce four packs. It's usually just a big, just smack you in the face IPA or hazy IPA, right? Um, of course, of course. And, and right, because why wouldn't you? And so uh, this year though, for our third edition of Friends, we're actually doing Friends Giving, and it's going to be us and those four breweries. And so we are literally in back and forth right now about finalizing the uh, the recipe. We have two recipes that we're going down, and we are back and forth on whether it's going to be hazy or West Coast. So I don't even know yet, but um, but that's going to wow. come up a couple weeks before uh about maybe a couple weeks before thanksgiving um in washington oregon and idaho limited release just for the holidays but it's going to be you know all all four of our uh closest buddies in the valley getting together making a beer for making a beer for the holidays and and pulling out all of our all of our tricks so hopefully uh that that's amazing yeah (laughs) So that, that, that'd be a, that was a cool little, cool segue. I saw that you guys were talking to most of those guys, so I was like, yeah, we're we're doing doing a fun collab, and so it's uh it's really cool. We we've got a lot of we've got a great brewing community in Yakima, and so this is just a a fun way to to celebrate it with all of our all of our friends. So. Well, that I'm I mean here we're we're literally going to call that the Brews Less Traveled collaboration because that's all five of the breweries yeah. we're featuring this month from Yakima. Mm-hmm. So awesome. if anybody's in the Yakima awesome. Valley. Yeah, Hit me very, up. very cool. Ship me some of that beer. Yeah, totally, totally. I will. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, hoard it all for myself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll make sure you guys get some. It should be out mid mid November. We, we're hoping to brew first batch uh, late next week. So. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. Say more about that. That's great. I can't wait to talk to all of these awesome breweries that uh, you've spoke spoken highly of, and I've already tried some of the beers. Great stuff. Yep. Uh, They're all doing good stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much yakima episode one in the books tom final thoughts uh there's so much awesome to look forward to i can remember my first time when i was like five years old driving in the yakima valley hitting hitting top initially getting hit in the face with the hop smell i hated it when i was five i love it when i'm 48 so let's uh uh, let's just let's go get all those hops in there and let's drink some great hoppy beers Totally. There's another another plug for Yakima. It's fun if you if you love hop aroma. If you're here 
all through the fall. They're pelletizing all night long and you can walk out of a restaurant in downtown Yakima in the middle of November. And it literally smells like a glass of IPA because they're mm. pelletizing hops three blocks away. So yeah. one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. <laughs> Greatest. So. Go to Yakima. These, these episodes every, every, every month, just, just basically turn into to travel tourism promotions. Go to Yakima specifically in yeah. the fall. Totally. totally. Yeah. Please do. Get those fresh hop beers. Yes. Uh, pretty amazing. Seriously. Um, so you can follow us on social media at Bruvana. Uh, make sure to head over to Bruvana.com for lots of great stuff, including the beer club. You can help support the show while also getting to enjoy the same great beers that we feature on the show. Uh, get the drink right alongside of us. And uh, also check out the 12 Beers of Christmas and Hoppy Hanukkah holiday boxes. We're going to be drinking for 19 consecutive live streams in december you say that 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 doesn't add up eight eight days of hanukkah 12 days of christmas well i'm going to take a day off i'm not going to stream on christmas but from the 26th on i'm going to stream for the rest of the 11 nights of christmas and we got eight nights of awesome hoppy hanukkah content so check those out great beers from breweries that were featured on this very show uh we'll also be back next week with our next featured yakima breweries two breweries next week but until then stay safe be kind and support local breweries and for our streamers check out that link in there write us some reviews and please we need yeah, reviews if you, if you love this hit some reviews up on there so more people can know about it we can uh yes. send more beer out into the world that doesn't get that far usually the best thing about this for me i that's the other way i'm in on this i'm the fulfillment manager i'm the one who ships all your beer out to you so uh we'll this talk, stuff yeah. that's that's hidden in my neck of the woods right now pacific northwest getting that out to other people is an amazing opportunity because a lot of these beers you can only get right at the tap room so thank you kevin for getting us a couple of beers so we could send that out uh so people could enjoy it uh it's uh i i'm completely biased i love the pacific northwest i think our beers are the best uh so uh I'm probably going to toot that horn quite a bit over the next four, four weeks. So Tom, that's why I you're did. here. That's why you're I here. Tom. <laughs> awesome. Well, Thanks, hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. That, that was a lot of fun and, and uh, gladly, gladly be back anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Have a good night. Cheers, yeah. everyone. Yeah, you too. See you guys later. See ya. Peace out. <laughs>